You, you don't. You haven't turned anywhere yet, have you? <clears throat> That's right. Don't yet. <clears throat> we'll get there in a minute. Uh, we asked a question over the last two weeks on Sunday morning, and the question is, who is Jesus? Now, you say, well, everyone knows the answer to that question. Uh, well, not really. A lot of people um, do not understand exactly who he is. And we asked you, in, uh, in trying to give a description of Jesus, to do it in seven words or less. And the reason we did is because the angel of the the Lord, the angel that was sent by the Lord to speak to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, in seven words, give us a very powerful and, I think, rather complete description of who Jesus really is. Now you say, well, well, are we really going to go back to Luke chapter 2 this morning? Christmas was last week. Mm Mm-hmm, we are. So, Luke chapter 2. Turn there if you would. And we're going to look at this statement once again. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If you wanted to describe Jesus Christ in seven words or less, that would be a great way to do it. The angel had a tremendous understanding, obviously, of who he was and wanted the shepherds to know the important message of who Jesus really is. And quite frankly... A great number of people, if not a great majority of people who celebrated Christmas this past week do not understand who Jesus is as the angel described him. Most people see him as a baby, a wonderful baby in the manger. Most people see him as, oh, a good person, a good moral person, a good decent person, maybe a good teacher, but very few see him as the angel described him to the shepherds on that day. And those three descriptive words, those three words that he used, he is the Savior, he is the Christ, he is the Lord, are very important for us to understand. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that he's the Christ, and we saw throughout Scripture how Jesus fulfilled so many different prophecies about himself and proved himself indeed to be the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. Last week, we had an opportunity, because I don't know how to follow order, to go and look at the word Savior, uh, the first term that the angel used in describing him, or one of, the, of those important of seven words. And we looked at Jesus being the Savior, and that he indeed was the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And I had intended, or at least I thought, last Sunday night we might finish it up. And we went somewhere else, and we had to look at Joseph and learn 16 different things about his life in one message, believe it or not. Uh, Today, though, I felt it was very appropriate for us to take one last look and to see Jesus as the Lord. And in fact, I think it's very appropriate to do it after Christmas. You say, well, why is it appropriate to do it after Christmas? Because quite honestly, understanding Jesus as Lord is a tremendous thing to help us look forward into the coming year and understand what we need to be doing because Jesus Christ is Lord. So I hope today you will be stirred, that you will be challenged as you think about the description the angel gave to the shepherds in the birth of Jesus Christ as you consider him being Lord, that it will impact your life, not just today, but in 2020. And until he comes again or until you go to see him. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us to understand the angel said when he said he is Lord. Father, I thank you so very much 
Now, we have opportunity this morning to dig into the Word of God once again and to see this truth, this uh, uh, very important truth revealed by the angel about who Jesus is, that he is indeed Lord. And may we understand it in the way you would have us to understand it, and may it have an impact upon the way we live our lives today, uh, tomorrow, and throughout the rest of the days that you would give us here on this earth. And may our lives truly reflect the fact that we understand and we believe and know and are convinced that Jesus is Lord. And I will thank you, Father, for what you'll do today to stir us about that very important fact. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you ever heard the name Harry Reasoner. Uh, but he was a commentator. He was, uh, he was a, uh, a news guy for years and years and years. In fact, he was in charge of, and he uh, basically headed up the, what's called, was called 60 Minutes. You ever hear that? He died back in 1991. But while he was doing 60 Minutes, one of the years around Christmas, uh, he wrote something for... Uh, for the program that was to do with the Christmas season, Harry believed that there was something about Christmas that goes beyond perfection, even beyond logic. Logic, And so here was the segment, here is at least a portion of what he said when he got on the air in 16, talking about Christmas and, uh, and, and the season. And in fact, quite honestly, Reasoner had no idea who Jesus really was. So I want you to know that he wasn't saved. In fact, I, I think by, his, uh, by what he says here, it's very clear that he didn't accept what he was saying. But he tells us some interesting things. He said this, The basis for this tremendous burst of buying things and gift-giving and parties and near hysteria is a quiet event that Christians believe actually happened a long time ago. You can say that in all societies there has always been a midwinter festival and, and that many of the trappings of our Christmas are almost violently pagan. But you come back to the central fact of the day, the birth of God on earth. It leaves you only three ways of accepting Christmas. One is cynically, as a time to make money or endorse, endorse the making of it. One is graciously the appropriate attitude for non-Christians who wish their fellow citizens all the joys their beliefs entitle them. And the third, of course, is reverently. If this is the anniversary of the appearance of the Lord of the universe in the form of a helpless babe, it is a very important day. It is a startling idea, of course. The whole story that a virgin was selected by God to bear his son as a way of showing his love and concern for man. It's my guess, he said, that in spite of all the lip service given to it, it's not an idea that has been popular with theologians. It's a somewhat illogical idea, and theologians like logic almost as much as they like God. It's so revolutionary an idea that it probably could only have come from a God that is beyond logic and beyond theology. Now, Reasoner, uh, mind you, understands that Jesus Christ is Lord today. You know that? In fact, the moment he died, he realized that there is a God that he will answer to, which is a very sad thing. 
uh, if he didn't know him, and it seems from every testimony that he didn't. But today, we have opportunity to think about Jesus as the Lord. As, in his words, the Lord of the universe in the form of a helpless babe. You see, Jesus was indeed the Lord. Who is Jesus? A Savior, which is Christ, the Lord. Well, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ, but Jesus is the Lord. And as we've done with our messages for the past couple weeks, we started by uh, dealing with the confusion that people have about Jesus. Now, is there really confusion about the fact that Jesus is Lord? Well, um, there really isn't necessarily, well, yeah, there is confusion about the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. But let me explain it this way. Do you know that most people, as they came to Jesus Christ, called him Lord throughout his life? You can find that in Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that Jesus was addressed as Lord numerous times. Do you know where the confusion is? It's not so much in the fact that they called him Lord, it's that they didn't know what, they, what it meant. That's where the confusion really is when we talk about Jesus being Lord. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, when people in that day addressed folks that were important or people that they respected or people that deserved at least a little bit of respect, they would use the title Lord. Maybe like, um, I don't think it, it, ours, our word is quite as um, maybe meaningful, but they would, like we'd use the word sir. If you're showing respect for somebody, you say, yes, sir, uh, yes, ma'am. And in much the same way, when people talk to folks during the day of Jesus Christ, if there was someone that had any kind of um, position at all or any kind of authority at all, they would call them Lord. A servant would call his master Lord all the time, every time, because they realized that this was someone that was important but, you know, you could call anyone that and not really believe it. Or you could call someone that and not really believe that they were who they truly were, as important as they truly were. When people called Jesus Lord, the confusion in that day was that they had no idea that Jesus was the Lord of the universe, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And that is what the angel wanted us to know and one of the shepherds to know. When we talk about Jesus being Lord, it's, he is more than just someone that's important, someone that's deserving of respect. Although he is deserving of respect, although he is important, he's far more than that. So it was common in that day to just call people Lord. It was a common word, recognizing people. And so it was something that showed respect. It was something that showed that a person had at least some Modicum of, uh, modicum of authority. They had some position. But do you know that this term is used many times in the Bible when referring to God? And when it is referring to God, it means the supreme one in authority. Or as we were just saying, the Lord of lords. The king of all kings. The one who is the most important. The one who is the supreme one. The supreme one in authority. That's ultimately what it means when we use the word Lord in reference to God. And let me tell you, that is the appropriate way to understand the word Lord, even though in the Gospels, most, most people had no comprehension of that truth. You see, people saw Jesus as worthy of respect or honor. And what they meant was that 
they knew that he was a teacher. They knew that he was someone that should be called sir or mister or, or at least some word of respect. But most people had no concept that he was the supreme one in authority, that he is God of, of heaven and earth, that he is the creator of all things. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Word was made flesh, verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus Christ, and the Word is God. And that is the way the word Lord is supposed to be understood. That's the way the angel understood it when he said he is, he is the Savior, which is Christ, the Lord. He is the supreme one in authority. He is indeed God. Most people, when they came to him, for just showing respect and a little bit of humility. And I dare say that many times when they came to him and they said, Lord, they wanted something. For example, the blind men who came to Jesus, what did they say when they addressed him? Lord, what do you want? That we may receive our sight. Lame people would cry out, lepers, Lord, have mercy on us. Were they saying he was God? Indeed, maybe a few, perhaps some. But quite honestly, most had no comprehension of the fact that he truly was the supreme God of heaven and earth. But that's what the angel meant. And by the way, that's what the disciples of Jesus Christ ended up coming to understand and know about him. You know, something is interesting. Sometimes when you go through and you study out and you look for different things and you study out words in the Bible, you, you learn some things you've never seen before. One of the words that we've talked about is being a disciple. And it was interesting to me when we studied this out. Mention it back last January. You remember that, don't you? Okay, good. You're still with me. All right, that's, that's good. No, you don't remember anything about it. But the word disciple is found primarily in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't find the word disciple uh, very much at all. A couple times in the book of Acts, but after the book of Acts, I, I don't believe you, you see it at all. So it's interesting to see how the word is used or where the word is used, and it, and it, it teaches us some things sometimes. Do you know that in, from the book of Acts and on through the end of the Bible, the words Lord and Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, are used about 104 times. But the words Lord and Christ are only found three times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together. Word Lord is found 600 some odd times in the New Testament. And can I say this to be honest? I didn't look them all up. Sorry. Sorry. I failed you. <laughs> all right. Didn't have time to look up all the verses that, that where, you, where you find the word Lord. Because the term Lord was used so often in the Gospels, in reference to anyone who had authority. Anyone who was a teacher like Jesus would have been called Lord. Uh, anyone who was a master would have been called a, a Lord. And so, uh, in reality, the word is used so frequently, but it is not used in reference to the Lord and Christ in the Gospels. You know why? Get this, because the disciples didn't even understand it. They didn't understand that Jesus Christ was the Lord, the supreme God of heaven and earth and the Christ. They didn't have a comprehension of that truth. I told you there are two other times it's found. It's found when Simeon said these words in Luke 2.26, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And by the way, that isn't refer in reference to Jesus. It's in reference to the Lord's God, the Father's Son, the Christ. The only other place that it's found in the entire New Testament, the word Lord and Christ, and I'm sorry, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels, is when Martha said, I believe that you are Christ, the Lord. The only one who so confesses that. Starting in the book of Acts, though, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, you know what he says? Jesus is Lord. Do you know what he preaches a couple days later when they have a man that is healed and he has an opportunity to preach? You need to receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. Do you know what Paul preaches when he gets out of prison and the Philippian jailer comes to him and falls and he says, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Acts is when they begin to say what the angel said in Luke chapter 2. It isn't until that time they come to the place where they have accepted fully the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And quite frankly, a lot of people have a hard time understanding that today. Do you know a lot of churches don't believe Jesus Christ is Lord? They don't believe that he is truly the supreme God of heaven and earth. There are a lot of, of, of religions that would profess to believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible because they do not accept him as the Lord. Martha was the only one who made this statement. But I'll tell you this, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And do you know what they're going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, Harry Reasoner will someday bow the knee and admit that what he told on that day was the truth, that the Lord of the universe did come in the form of a helpless baby, that the Lord of the universe lived throughout this life and gave his life as payment for the sins of the world that he was buried, that he rose again the third day. He will admit Jesus Christ is Lord. And so will every other person on the face of this earth that, that is alive today and that has lived throughout history and that will live until the time Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns. Every knee in that day will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. So the confusion comes not in the fact that they didn't know the word or they never called Jesus that. The confusion comes in the fact that they didn't understand what they were saying when they called Jesus Lord in the Gospels. But what it means is that he truly is the supreme God of heaven and earth. Let me also share one other thing that's interesting in the, as we deal with the confusion. It's who used the term. You see, lame people, when they came to Jesus, called him Lord even though they didn't understand exactly what it meant, but they knew that he was someone deserving of respect. The disciples, when they talked about Jesus, who, what do they call him? They called him Lord. Now, I believe maybe Peter came to that place. Well, actually, he did come to that place because he said, you're the Christ. So he came to the realization as he was living with and hearing Jesus Christ and observing everything that this is indeed God come in the flesh. 
But the disciples used the term, and, and maybe sometimes they knew it, but a lot of times it probably was just a matter of respect because of who they were, what they had observed, and things they saw from his life. But do you know that from every indication, everywhere I could find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I told you I didn't look up every word of the word Lord. Sorry. That's your assignment this next week. Before the new year, you have a few days. Look up the 600 verses where you find the word Lord in the New Testament. Okay, that was, that was right. But, um, but there's a group of people that never called him Lord. The Pharisees. You look through the Gospels. When they came to Jesus to talk to him, you know what they called him? Master. Which means simply teacher. It wasn't a sign of respect. They just acknowledged the fact that he was a teacher. But they understood that calling him Lord was giving him respect, and they would not do it. The Herodians, you read about them coming to Jesus to ask him a question? You know what they called him? Same thing, master. Don't have a problem using the word master, but they didn't want to use Lord. You know why? Again, because it showed respect. Even if they weren't going to admit he was God, which they certainly didn't, they didn't even want to admit that he was an authority in any way, shape, or form. They didn't want to show any respect because if they show respect, then people might follow him. And they didn't want anyone following Jesus because they believed he was a phony, he was a liar. But quite frankly, a lot of people today, although they may not call him a phony or a liar, are not willing to accept him as he truly is the supreme God of heaven and earth. So therein lies the confusion. So what is the clarification? Well, the clarification is this. Jesus is worthy of the title Lord as it's used in reference to God. He is the supreme God of heaven and earth. They say, well, well, how, why, why should we believe that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because an angel told you. He's the Savior, he's Christ, and he's the Lord. And the way the angel was using it was certainly in reference to what was talked about in the Old Testament. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the Messiah, a number of times in the Old Testament, is called God. You know that, don't you? We could go back this morning. We don't have time, or we wouldn't get done the message if we looked it up, just like if we looked up every verse that had the word Lord in it. All right? We wouldn't have time to go through all the verses. But in the Old Testament, Isaiah especially mentioned a couple different times that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, the fact of, of his name, he would be called Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. Matthew mentions that fact, but Isaiah mentioned it. I think it's in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Yes, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that means God with us. A little bit later in, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we're told, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And uh, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Say it the mighty God. You see, the Old Testament recognized that he truly was God, that he would be God come in the flesh. And when the angel said he is Jesus, the Christ, which by the way is saying he's God, the Lord, he was recognizing that very fact. He is the supreme God of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ himself called, him, called himself that, you say, well, well, when did Jesus call himself that? Well, uh, in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said these words, I and my Father are one. And the Jews took up stones to 
uh, to, again to stone him. And Jesus asked the question, why do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy because that thou being a man makest thyself God. He was making himself, if you would, the Lord, the Supreme One, because he was. He said these words before Abraham was in John chapter 8 and verse 58. I am. You say, well, is there anything significant in there? Absolutely, because that's the term that God used for himself when he talked to Moses and he described, who should I say has sent me? Who, who am I talking with? And God says, I am. I exist. And that was the term Jesus Christ used for himself. His followers ended up believing that very fact. In fact, Thomas, uh, who was the, the great doubter, right? comes to that realization when he sees Jesus stand before him with the, the, the nail-scarred hands and, and the, uh, the side. You know, Thomas, reach hither your hand and thrust it in my side. And Thomas doesn't have to do that when he sees him. He calls it and he says, you are my Lord and my God. And throughout the New Testament, after uh, in the book of Acts, and, and, and just and every one of the disciples, every one of the apostles, every one of the followers reference the fact that he is indeed God. And we don't have time to, to reference every different passage where Jesus is referred to as God. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7 tell us that fact. And so it is very clear from the word of God that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, that he is God, the supreme authority of heaven and earth. Big deal it is. It is. First, most people don't understand it. And sadly, those who understand it in our day, those who are believers in Jesus Christ and know him to be the Lord, don't treat him like he is. So let me share with you this morning the conclusion or the challenge, if you'd like to put it that way, the conclusion. I just saw an article dealing with the lordship of Christ, and the article dealt with the subject of lordship salvation. Have you heard that term? All right. Uh, that's caused great controversy in Christianity, and there's a lot of opinions about the matter. And you say, why'd you bring it up this morning? I don't know, because I'm not going to preach on it, and we're not going to deal with that subject, because it really is unimportant. But why I brought it up is because it is very sad that what is a title that is very important and should mean a lot to us has been so twisted and distorted that it's caused confusion, and it's made some people really confused about whether they're saved or not. And that wasn't the intent of this title. That isn't the intent of of understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, Jesus Christ is Lord. That fact should be manifest in your life, but you're not, you're not saved by how much of the Lordship you believe of Jesus Christ because you either believe it or you don't. You either believe he's the supreme one in authority or not. Now, again, we're not going to deal with that subject. Maybe that's another controversial subject we're going to preach on Sunday night. Maybe we'll start next week. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Because it's an important thing to have understood. But it's a shame that just like, just like the Calvinists that so twist the matter of salvation and make salvation uh, some 
some uh, thing that the word sovereignty and other things, those words, they ruin the words because they argue things that should be a blessing. They argue words that should be a challenge to us. So they do with lordship salvation. Look, Jesus Christ is Lord, whether someone understands it or not. He's the supreme one in authority. But I would like to share with you just for a few moments what that should mean to you today. Because big deal if the angel said that, and even if he is, if you don't understand what that should mean to your life today. So turn with me to the book of Luke. You're already there, right? And look at Luke chapter 19. I'd like you to see in the Gospels, as Jesus talked about this term being the Lord, or the word was used, what it should mean to your life. And we have some great examples in, especially in Luke and John. We'll look at, primarily look at the book of Luke, and then we'll see one in the book of John. The first is found in a story where Jesus Christ said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost in verse 10 of Luke chapter 19. Do you know the story where that's found? When Jesus made that statement, he had just talked, he had just talked with and he had been eating at Zacchaeus. Oh, come on, you know him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. Come on. Yeah, because you sang that if you were a kid in church. I don't know if they sing it anymore, but but should. It's a it's a great song about about this little guy. And you've heard the story, haven't you? What happened to Zacchaeus? Well, in Luke chapter 19, um, Jesus was being criticized because, well, he went to be a guest. He went over to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was, was up in a tree. A short guy climbs up in a tree so he can see Jesus. And Jesus goes over and he says, come on down. I, I got to imagine that Zacchaeus just had to have Shocking, his wife, though, had to have it worse. When Zacchaeus walks in and he says, I brought Jesus home for dinner. Come on, come on. What would your wife say, gentlemen? I mean, they didn't have cell phones. He couldn't call and say, I'm bringing Jesus home. So this whole crowd shows up. Could you imagine what his wife felt like? All right, now, you come on, put yourself in the in this <laughs> You're kidding me. All I have is leftovers. I don't know. I, I have no idea that, that that was her line or whatever. But but he comes in, and uh, Jesus is criticized for all that goes on. But here's what Zacchaeus said in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood. Here, here he's been meeting with the, with the Lord. He's had lunch with the Lord. And he stands up, and he says, Lord, hold Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. You know, he understood Jesus was Lord, the supreme one in authority, that had the right to tell him what to do, and it impacted his life. It should impact yours. This morning, when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we would all agree with that. I, no one would... would Disagree, but here's the question. Do you, have you acknowledged his right to rule your life? That's what Zacchaeus was doing at that very moment. He was saying, Lord, you are the Lord. <laughs> 
And I agree with that fact. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing honest business. I'm going to stop stealing from people. You know, he admitted he was just, he was a thief. And he said, if I'd taken anything wrong, like, like everyone would have been, yeah, we know that. I'm going to restore fourfold. Man, that's salvation for a tax collector, let me tell you. Any IRS guy that gives someone four times back what they stole from, that just, just is unheard of, right? This guy came to the realization Jesus is Lord, and here's what he was ultimately doing. He acknowledged Jesus' right to rule his life. So here's the question. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? But let me ask you that. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Okay, the supreme one in authority, God? Okay, you believe that. Acknowledge his right to rule your life. Well, that's kind of straightforward. Mm-hmm. That was the realization Zacchaeus came to that day. This is God. <laughs> I have God in my house. And he is right, and I'm a sinner. It's true. And so God, Lord, you have the right to ruin my life. And here's what I'm going to do. Does anyone find that challenging? It's one thing to say, yeah, he's Lord. Jesus Christ, the Lord. You all make that statement. Do you believe it because you acknowledge his right to rule? To tell you what to do? And please understand it in light of this. It's the things you're doing that are wrong because that's what Zacchaeus was admitting. Here are the things I've been doing that are wrong. And I'm going to let God have his way. I'm going to let the Lord have his way. You have the right to tell me what to do. In fact, the Lord didn't even have to tell him what to do because he already knew, didn't he? Here's the truth. Quite honestly, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of Christians are just like Zacchaeus in the sense that they have things that they know in their life are not pleasing to the Lord. But they haven't let the Lord have them. And they haven't acknowledged his right to rule in that area of their life. So Zacchaeus stole money from people. He took dishonestly from people. And he was willing to say, you're the Lord. You have the right to rule my life. This is an area I've been disobedient to you. Can I ask it in all seriousness? This is a real, I know this is kind of, a, this is a very somber thought. But are there things in your life that you haven't allowed God to be Lord over? Maybe it's your thoughts. Maybe you're, you, you're dishonest in your business dealings with people. Maybe you don't do all to the glory of God. Maybe you don't work hard at your job. Maybe you, you murmur and complain. You just, you're a whiner. Maybe you just got a bad attitude about life. Maybe you haven't allowed God to have control in the, in the way you're rearing your children. I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. If we really believe Jesus Christ is the supreme one in authority, we will come to the place where we acknowledge his right to rule our life, and that's where we all need to come. And like Zacchaeus, we need to be willing to say, God, uh, 
I'm not, I haven't been living as I ought. But today I'm going to start because you have the right to tell me what to do. But it wasn't just Zacchaeus that teaches us a lesson. Go to Luke chapter 9, if you would. Backwards, yes. In Luke chapter 9, we have three examples before us. Yes, three examples. Three people were told, follow me. Three people, well, actually, it wasn't, they weren't all told that. One guy came to him, verse 57, and said, Lord, and there you have it. Lord, you're the Lord. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus made a statement, and what happened? Well, we're never told, except for the fact that it's pretty clear that he didn't follow him. Am I right? Look in the next verse. And he said to another in verse 59, follow me. But he said, and what words does he use after that? But he said, you're the Lord. But suffer me first. Allow me first to go home and, and bury my father. Uh, look in verse 61. Another also said, I will, Lord, there we go. Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. Um, three people who, get this, allowed the things of this world to hold them back from following Jesus. Say, what's the lesson? Well, three people teach us that you can call him Lord, but you can allow the things of this world to have control over your life and make them more important than he is. And that indeed is sinful. Because he is Lord. Is it any wonder that John later says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world? Because if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. You see, the things of this world just get a grip Honest. By the way, at Christmas, they have a, a real tendency to do that. All the things going on and all the the, 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 the bright lights and all the, the popularity or whatever it may be that the world has becomes more important than the Lord. So the things of this world pull me away. And I don't give him. I don't acknowledge his right. I think, how do I illustrate that? And I think, hey, use your head. you got three illustrations in Luke chapter 9, don't you? Of men who said, you're Lord, but men who allowed things of the world to keep them from following. So what is keeping you from following the master. Look, look, how many th times have the things of this world kept you back from doing what the masters expect, expect, master expects? Like, do you excuse coming to church because you have something else to do? 
Do you excuse giving of your substance to the Lord's work? Tithing, giving, whatever term you want to use. But you excuse it because you say, well, I have too much debt or I don't see how I can afford it. In your relationships with people, are you willing to do what God wants you to do or do you hold back because, well, I don't want to lose a friend. <coughs> if I tell someone about Jesus, I'm going to lose a friend. If I, if I do what God has told me to do in his word, it might hurt my relationship with my relatives. And what kind of things in this world keep you back and hold you from giving the Lord Jesus Christ his rightful place. So the things of this world, first, acknowledge him as the one who has the right to rule in your life. You are the authority. You're the one supreme authority. Second thing is don't let things of the world keep you from following him. Well, you want another example? Good. I'm glad you asked. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> and going backward again because, well, at least we're following the same protocol with this. In verse 46, Jesus asked an important question. And why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Luke 6, 46. Um, isn't it interesting how many people in Christianity today will call him Lord, but then you, you look at, at their lives and it's clear they're just not doing what God's told them to do. No. Um, just the basic things. Prayer, Bible reading. If you call him Lord, you should talk to him. If you call him Lord, you should... Want to hear from him and read his word. You call him Lord, you should do the things that he says. Oh, here we are. We're, we're in uh, kid time, right? Whosoever cometh to me and hearing my say, heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. The wise man built his house upon. You remember singing that one, right? I think we do still sing that one too. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Jesus used that as an illustration right after this truth. So what was Jesus taught? The foundation of your life needs to be Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good thought. But what he's talking about, the foundation upon which you build your life is obedience. That's the lesson. That's the illustration. When you build your life upon obedience, just doing what the Lord has said all the time, every time, you are building your life on a rock. When the storms of life come, you're going to be able to withstand the storms. Do you know why people fall apart today and can't handle all problems that come their way when the storms of life roll in? You know why people fall apart? Listen, because... They have not built their life on obedience to the Lord. And as a result, they're not ready to handle it. They can't handle it. Foundation of your life needs to be built on the fact as Jesus is Lord, and he deserves to be absolutely, totally obeyed completely all the time. 
And as you build your life that way, you're building your life on a solid foundation that won't fall apart when the storms come. It's the truth. Why do you call me Lord? And then you don't do what I say. That's, an, that's a good question, isn't it? You say, no, that's not a fair question. Why isn't it fair? The Lord asked it. See, those who believe him to be Lord should obey him. And so here we have in the, the book of Luke three conclusions, or I'd say indeed challenges, to the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord. What should it mean? Okay, look, all the other stuff, it's interesting to know how many times the word Lord is used. It's interesting to know that most people didn't recognize him as God, the supreme God, but we know him to be Lord, to be the supreme, the one and only God, the absolute authority in life. All right, what are you doing about that? We know it. Now let's live it. Let's begin to acknowledge his right to rule our lives. Yes, Lord, you can tell me what to do here. You have the right to do that. Let's not allow the things of this world to keep us from following him. And then let's just build our life on the solid foundation of the Lord told me this is what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm going to do. It really is that simple. You know how much life would be clarified, cleared up, if you and I, when we come to a, a, a crossroad and a decision, would come first to this book and say, what has the Lord said? That's what I'm going to do. I could solve all the government's problems that they talk about, all the, the big issues they're facing, with that with that simple, if they would accept Jesus as Lord, we could solve all the problems. Call me Lord. Do what I say. Does anyone find it challenging this morning? Here, here's the truth. If, if I'm honest, there are a lot of times I would, I'd readily call him Lord, but I don't treat him like that. What about you? If not, then wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if today you started treating him like what you say you believe? He's the Lord. He is the supreme one in authority. The angel told the shepherds that. The rest of the New Testament supports that. Jesus himself claimed it. Now it's up to us to live. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.